Sports are such a big part of all of our lives, from the big plays to the unforgettable games, that they continue to inspire us in unimaginable ways. But what happens to the athletes, the warriors, and heroes of our time when the game is finally over and the sport they love and work their entire lives pursuing greatness at continues on without them? How do they cope with the transition? How do they find purpose, reclaim their identity, and work towards a vision of the future? As a former professional athlete, playing in the NFL for eight seasons, I know the unique challenges that these athletes face. On this podcast, these athletes will share their stories and how they navigate life beyond the game. Welcome to another episode of Life Beyond the Game. I'm your host, Joe Holly, and today's guest is Caleb Campbell. And you guys are in for a treat today. This man has been on one hell of a journey. He went to West Point and Military Academy. And for those of you that don't know, when you go to a military academy, you have to serve, I think it's five years as an officer. Um, it's part of the contract. And he actually went through this whole journey where he played football there, got drafted in the seventh round. And there's a whole thing with a law that uh, said that he could go play uh, in the NFL. Um, they ended up rescinding that law literally the day he showed up at training camp. And, you know, that's just the beginning of his journey. He has, uh, he's been on one hell of a journey, um, no doubt. And it's really beautiful the way he opens up, shares so vulnerably. We talk a lot about, um, you know, because the journey of finding yourself really is a spiritual journey. And, you know, he went on, ended up going up to a church, uh, living on uh, in the basement and became a janitor. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, this guy's story is crazy. Um, and I'm just so grateful that he came on to share his story so openly and vulnerably and it really had an impact on my on my life just having the conversation. I know it's going to really be powerful for for any of you that might be going through a big transition. If you're an athlete navigating the transition, I think you can get a lot out of this. But anybody really that is going through any type of big transition in life, you know, learning to really trust your heart, have the courage to go into the unknown and question the stories that might be holding you back from really experiencing the connection to something greater than yourself. We talk about all that in this podcast. Uh, one other thing we talk about is the power that community has in the healing process, feeling supported and safe to dive deeper into the stories of who we actually are and being able to remove the, the stories, the limiting beliefs, the programming, the conditioning that gets in the way of us experiencing true intimacy with ourselves and others. The power that community has is so powerful. And that's why I've created the Heart Collective, which is a community built exclusively for former male professional athletes. Because I've found it's really hard as a former athlete, and, and Caleb talks about this in the podcast, to feel safe enough and have someone be able to hold space for the experience that we're going through. Because most people you know, see us through the lens of being an athlete. And so creating a community of other former athletes where we have this relatable experience, this, this, this trust, this understanding of what we've been through to get to where we are and being able to do this type of work together. Um, it's something I'm really passionate about and really excited about continuing to grow this community. If it's something you're interested in, go to theheartcollective.com. That's H-A-R-T, theheartcollective.com to check it out. Really excited about 
the new content strategy we're developing, me and my team, where we're actually creating master courses and master classes that will be available to the general public to get a sneak peek in behind the scenes of what we're the work we do in the community for the Heart Collective. If that's, if that's something you're interested in, go to the website, put your email in and stay up to date with all the amazing content that we will be creating, all the different experiences. And we're just getting started. I'm really excited about all the support I've received so far on this and you know, just continuing to try and make the world a better place. And I really appreciate, you know, all the continued, continued support. Um, also, if you're interested in diving deep, deeper into some of my content, um, if you haven't checked out yet, my other podcast, Quantum Coffee, it is a lot of fun. The last few guests I've had on there, I've really blown my mind. And there's a little bit of Quantum Coffee in this conversation. We discuss a lot of, uh, you know, spiritual concepts, um, but I think it is, it's all connected, you know? I don't think we're, we're, we're humans who have spiritual experiences. We are spirits who are having a human experience. And I think once I understood that, everything really shifted. And so if you're interested in more of those topics, check out Quantum Coffee. All that will be in the, in the show notes. And I'm definitely going to get Caleb on that conversation or that podcast as well to have a conversation with him. And I'm really stoked about that. Um, yeah. If you enjoy this podcast, please review it, rate it, all that good stuff share it with your friends, hit the subscribe button goes a long way in helping support the podcast and grow the audience and reach a, you know, wider audience to really, you know, people that might get positive impact from, from this podcast. And I'm going to be done talking now. I really appreciate all the support. I love you guys. And without further ado, here's Caleb. Right, Caleb. What's up, brother? How you doing? How are you, man? I'm great. Yeah, I'm great too, man. Doing so good. Calling in from Nashville. Just Nashville there. Is- How's it going? It's good, man. I will say that Nashville is a change of pace from Los Angeles. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> How you handling that? It feels that? right. It, it, it feels right. Uh, the slowness of Nashville, I think, really. Um, creates an ecosystem that's necessary uh, in this season of life for me. So it, it feels right in a lot of ways. Yeah. What was the impetus of moving there? I think it was a couple of different things. Um, my wife and I, we had just gotten recently married in Los Angeles and she had been there for eight years. Um, I had only been up there for a few years and I had moved to Los Angeles, not because I wanted to move to Los Angeles. I literally followed my heart there. And so when we were started kind of talking, I knew that that season of life um, was coming to a close. I could just emotionally feel that it was coming to a close. And we had a lot of uh, community in Nashville, a lot of friends that were actually leaving LA too and going to Nashville, a lot of overlap. And I just, we just kind of woke up one day and I was like, it's done. Like I'm, my wife was ready to go. Um, and I was just like, oh gosh, it's, it's time to leave Los Angeles. And I think Nashville just seemed like the best move for us. And so alongside with friends, I think emotionally and energetically, it was where we're supposed to be. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Another, another big transition. And I'm excited to kind of <laughs> dive into your story because I know you've been through a lot on your own, own journey. So let's start with your, with your athletic career. I know you went through a lot, you know, that you have a very interesting story. So why don't you kind of introduce yourself and then take uh, the listeners kind of through 
your story and then we can kind of dive into the transition of the sports and what that looks like. Absolutely. Um, there's two stories, really. There's a story, the sports world, and then what was happening behind uh, the scenes. And so I, gra- I went and I attended the United States Military Academy at West Point. And when I went to West Point, I was well aware that my childhood dreams and hopes of playing in the NFL were coming to a, a, an end, right? Because when you graduate West Point, um, you have a minimum five-year commitment as an officer in the United States Army. And so I get to West Point and West Point is um, an emotional roller coaster for me. I think it's important just to give you more context. I am the least self-aware person you've ever met in your life at this time period. <laughs> and I'm extremely repressed and um, just, you know, I don't know how to process an emotion for the life of me. If you would have asked me what that is, I honestly wouldn't know. I would just be like, oh, lift more weights. (laughs) (laughs) But um, I went to West Point and then my sophomore year at the academy, actually, there was a new policy called the alternative service obligation policy that got um, put into motion. And it essentially said, if you were good enough to play a professional sport, you could play and serve simultaneously. And um, my sophomore year, I had a pretty good collegiate season. I think I was like the number six or number seventh strong safety in the country at that time. So a lot of scouts started coming around. A lot of coaches started coming around and just started asking, Hey, if you get drafted, like, what's the deal? Can you play? And from my understanding and my coach's understanding um, with this new policy, I was able to play. And so I go through West Point my senior year. Um, I start getting a little bit more publicity. Uh, you know, E60, Rachel Nichols did a featured on me. Um, and a lot of people just started talking about this kid out of West Point that could play ball. And I ended up getting selected in that 2008 NFL draft in the seventh round. And uh, it was crazy. It was, it was a dream come true, but also it was like, I want out of this life at that moment. You know, I remember that was the first time I ever had a panic attack was the night after the NFL draft. I went back to West Point. I was looking at my phone um, and just seeing all of these people. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. You know, and for somebody that like my deepest desire in life up until this point was to find acceptance, right? Like it's wired in our, in our DNA. And throughout my childhood in high school, that was, I, I faced rejection after rejection after rejection for several different reasons. But when I got to the NFL draft now, I'm finally like, Oh, everybody wants to be my friend. Like I feel so accepted. And then it hit me, but what if I fell? Mm. And man, that sent me down a downward spiral real quick. And again, least self-aware person don't know how to handle this. I literally thought I was dying that night. Um, And so I ended up getting back to the story. I ended up getting selected in that draft. And then the day of my first NFL contract signing, I was out at Detroit. Um, The day of my, I was literally waking up that morning to go sign my contract and also to start training camp. Mm. And my agent called and said, something's going on, get to the stadium. And so I get to the stadium and that's when they tell me that, Hey, that policy that got put into motion your sophomore year at the academy has been rescinded and revised. They said basically, what's that? Do you know why? Like, what was the reason? There was so much. um, Apparently they actually rescinded it two weeks before, but nobody clarified that to me. Were you the first one that was like kind of using that thing? Was it so So there was me and a baseball player. Okay. Um, that graduated the year before and he was kind of in between kind of getting the jerk around as well. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And they told me on that day, like, Hey, you can't play in the NFL. I had a car deal. Um, <laughs> you know, like all of these, like I was, I was getting ready to sign my first NFL contract and start training camp that day. Uh, they gave me no explanation except that I needed to return back to active duty immediately. And so I, I left Detroit. I left the NFL. I went back and started serving at West Point for six months because I had missed the doorway into like basically the next assignment. Like all of those were shut down. So I had to wait for six months at West Point. They wouldn't let you play because of this. this because of this. Yeah. And so what people don't know at this time until I started really kind of talking about it, I was ecstatic that they pulled the cord. I was so ecstatic that they, I could not play mm. because I knew that I was not going to make that team through OTAs um, from just being at in the NFL. Like I played better football in peewee than I did in off season because the fear mm. grabbed hold of me and suffocated the living shit out of my life, emotionally wow. speaking. And I just knew that I wasn't going to make the team. And so when they said, Hey, you can't play in a lot of ways, I could save face mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. I didn't have to be exposed as somebody that doesn't have what it takes to make it And football up until this point. You know, I talk a lot about going back to our early childhood moments and the way that we learn how to receive love. I learned when I was five years old, after scoring a game-winning touchdown in flag football, when my mom grabbed my sweaty little face and says, son, I love you so much, you scored the game-winning touchdown. I just, I five years old, I learned that the quickest way to be accepted in life is through performance. Mm. And so now life became literally about scoring touchdowns and performance after performance after performance. But when I got to the NFL, I realized that I was in the middle of a performance that I could not come out on top of. And I realized that, oh my God, subconsciously, there was this deep, deep fear of how am I going to find acceptance in life now? And so when they told me I couldn't play, I was ecstatic. Um, Now, fast forward, I have to serve for two and a half years and they basically rewrite that policy. I have to serve for two and a half years, which I ended up strangely starting to bobsled for the USA Olympic team. How did that Um, happen? That's a little side story, huh? Yeah. It was actually so funny because I was driving home from Detroit to West Point and I was doing interview after interview after interview. I had stopped and did, you know, CNN sports and Fox news sports and like live television interviews and all these things. And I told my agent like, no more, I can't do anymore. And I kept getting this random phone call. And I'm like, who the heck is this? Like I'm ignore, ignore, ignore. Cause I'm just drained. And then my little brother texts me. He's like, answer your phone, dumbass. I'm like, okay. So I'm like, oh, it's my brother. Well, my little brother is a, um, he was born with a rare birth deficiency and they had to amputate his leg when he was four or five years old. And he went on to become a ESPY award winner um, in uh, Paralympics for Team USA for track and field. And he was at the Olympic training center in Sandy, in Chula Vista when it was still operating down there. And he's watching my story on national television unfold. And the person sitting next to him was like, man, he can come bobsled. I wish I could get a hold of him. And my brother's like, do you want his number? And it was the, it was the head coach for the bobsledding Uh-oh. team. I had no idea that that was my brother. But I was able to bobsled because there was actually, and there still is a world-class athlete program. There is a policy that allows 
um, officers or military members to perform and to pursue the Olympics. Interesting. So there is that policy that they will allow you to actually serve and compete in the Olympics simultaneously, um, but you couldn't serve and actually play a professional sport simultaneously. Mm-hmm. And so, so I went, I did that for a while. Yeah. Was this, was this, was this good to, to kind of get that? Cause you still have that athletic itch, right? The competitive yeah. desire to perform at this point. And so this is a, something new, maybe not as much pressure on you because you knew that you could, it's something new. So you didn't really put so much pressure on yourself because it is trying You'd never done it before. Absolutely. There was that, but then there was also the reality that I just walked into the bobsledding world and cameras followed me. Uh-huh. And all the bobsledders were like, who the hell are you? Like we've been working our ass off. And now you just come here and you think like it actually created a shit ton of chaos in my life. And again, at this time, I'm probably actively, and I say this sincerely and i'm really careful not just to throw words out there i'm actively trying to kill myself Mm. through drinking because i don't know how to handle this stress i don't know how to handle this pressure i'm literally drinking i'm waking up in my own vomit during this season of life because i these interviews and everything like just putting on a mask and being able to show up a mask man just i'm a soldier first i do what i'm told trying to for all intents and purposes trying to be everything that everybody expects me to be, you know, at this time period in my life, it's just like, you know, you handle this so well, you're a stand-up guy, like keep driving forward, keep moving forward, like, you know, do the right thing or blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, okay, okay, okay. And that I am just, I remember one day bobsledding Joe and I called a friend and I just remember being on, I still remember it today, being on this phone call with a friend and telling him the hard time that I'm having. And his words were, the Caleb I know never fails. Wow. More pressure. All I wanted to scream at him was like, would you please give me the fucking permission to fail? Mm. Like somebody give me this permission in life, please. And I just felt like nobody like, and I said, oh yeah, that's all right. That's right, man. Thanks for the reminder. Suck it up, drive on. You know, and so my life was just a complete mess in this interim time. And I told myself that I had two and a half years to fix this. And the only way at this point that I knew how to fix this was get bigger, faster, stronger. (laughs) And so I told myself, yeah, right. I told myself if I can just get bigger, faster, stronger, when I get the chance to get back into the NFL, if that opportunity, uh, you know, offers it up, I'm going to be ready. If it presents itself, I'm going to be ready. So and even so I, this, like this big sigh of relief that you're not, you get pulled out of the, out of the field and you're like, Oh, I just got a saving grace. There's still a part of you that wants to go give it a shot. Yes. Because, and this is a whole nother side of my story. I thought this was God's purpose for my life. Mm. I grew up in evangelical Christianity, learning that God had a will for my life and a purpose for my life. And it was a plan to succeed. And I correlated that with one day being at a church at a revive, like a, a conference kind of thing and getting called out of the crowd and being told that God's going to put me on a stadium in front of thousands and thousands of people. And that me connecting, Oh, football is God's plan for my life to walk away from the game of football is to turn my back on God. Mm, more pressure, even from oh. God, your God's pressuring you. So where do you turn? <laughs> to the bottle, to the bottle, man. So this, and then underneath all of this, you're just trying to drown yeah. it out. And you're Mm -hmm. trying to show up for family, friends, the world, the media, the story, living up to the hype, 
even God mm-hmm. trying to prove yourself to him. Yeah, all of it. And so it, it's just, oh my God. And three years later, almost th- three years later than I, two and a half years and in going into the third year, um, I get a call from the Detroit Lions and saying, hey, we, we want to come and give you a chance to work out. It's all whole new coaching staff. And so I go and I work out with them and I'm the biggest, the fastest and the strongest I've ever been. And so on paper, my testing was off the charts. And they're like, yeah, man, like, here's you another contract. I got a free agency um, to go with the Lions. And I remember that first day back in the NFL, um, on the first day of the contract signing, everything worked. I got that early release. I'm back in the news now. Everybody's like, you know, talking about my story again. Here he goes. And I'm feeling the pressure build up and build up and build up. And I'm just like, shit. And I remember that first day, man, I walked back out in that field and I've just vomited everywhere because I knew I was fucked. I knew that there was at that moment in my life, I knew that there was no amount of willpower that was going to calm the proverbial storms, the turbulent waters of my own soul that were now fucking tidal waves washing me ashore and just drowning my every sense of life out of me. I knew that like I missed something. And so I suck it up to the best of my ability, man. And I'm in this place in the NFL for now three years, practice squad, active roster, practice squad, active roster. But I'm literally trying to be good enough to be on a practice squad on the team, but not good enough to play on Sundays. Because if I can be on the team yourself from playing, but good enough to stay on the team. Yeah, actively trying to do that because if I play on Sunday, I actually threaten to expose myself that I'm not good enough and that I don't have what it takes. And I didn't know how to answer that question that comes with that. And that's what do I do now? I didn't know. I couldn't, I didn't have the emotional capacity to answer that question. And so if I could be good enough to be on practice squad, I can show up, be on the team. I can also go out on a Friday night and a Saturday night, walk into a bar and everybody know that I'm on the NFL team and receive all the love and acceptance that I'm having at this season and that season of life that comes with being on an NFL team. So I'm trying to battle that line, man, and straddle that line. And over time, I, I really start to hate myself. You're a, you're a fraud. You're an imposter. You're just stupid. Like suck it up. But my body was shutting down. My body is like physically shutting down. And so what do I do? I now go back to more alcohol. And now this time around it's drugs. I'm literally staying up for 48 hours, 48 hours at a time. And then going to practice and all the while hoping to get caught hoping to get found out so that I'm forced to leave out of the game. Cause I didn't have the courage to walk away because to leave the game of football was once again, to turn my back on all the ways that I found acceptance, validation, affirmation in my life. And I didn't know how to navigate that. Can't Can't quit. quit. You can't Mm -hmm. quit. And so if I could just get cut again now, It it works, right? And so I remember that I went from Kansas City or from Indianapolis to Kansas City. Um, And when I got cut for the final time, I I just knew my agent called and said, hey, the Falcons want to bring you in for a workout. I said, I'm done. I was like, I'm going to end up killing myself. If I stay here, I have to go figure out what in the hell is happening in my life. Because this, I just remember waking up one night and being like, this can't be my life. I have followed the map 
to get here in my and accomplish my childhood dreams. And I feel so guilty because I have so much, but I literally hate myself and I hate my life and I don't want to be here anymore. And that's when I decided to walk away and try to go on this journey and going on a journey of really discovering who the hell is Caleb Campbell. Mm, yeah. Wow. Thanks for sharing all that, man. That's one hell of a journey. And I really appreciate your <laughs> vulnerability. And you talked about your, your self-awareness, right? Obviously you've gotten to a place where you're a lot more self-aware with your emotions. So talk about the journey when you finally decided to walk away. What initially was that, you know, did you feel like a failure giving up or was it this new opportunity mm-hmm. to really step into and figure out who you are on a deeper level? Yeah, this is a great question. Um, so I still had so much, uh, you know, I'm a four wing three on the Enneagram, if you're familiar with that. And so like my deepest desire in life is to find significance. And that, as a three, there is a very uh, intense willpower behind my pursuit to finding significance, right? Like, tell me how, what mountain to climb and I'll ask you how fast, like that is what I felt like in this season of life. Like I had so much drive and so much determination. And so instead of directing that drive and determination to try to succeed at the NFL, it now became all about why am I self-destructing? What is going on in my life that would result in me to blow up my life? Like something is wrong. And so I took all that drive and determination and used it in in willfulness to use it to better understand what the heck is going on at an emotional level in my life. And I was at my aunt's house sitting in the basement. And this is so damn random, but I was scrolling through Twitter and I would literally just opened up my third bottle of wine and I'm drunk and I'm going through Twitter and I see a see a series of tweets from somebody that I followed that was retweeting somebody. And I'm reading these series of tweets and I'm like, what the f- like, this is my life. Like she was putting to words my life. And at this point, no, I've never experienced that before. And I follow this person. I'm going through all these tweets and I come across, she was essentially leaving the NFL of her life to go find herself. And she was going to a church in Canada. And so I'm looking at this church and dude, I'm telling you, I went from drunk to sober in seconds. And I knew at the deepest core of my being, I was supposed to be there. I packed my bags because I was hungry for change. I packed my bags and I drove to Canada and I walked into this church and I said, y'all don't know me, but I need help. Can you help me? And the pastor that I met at that door didn't know it was a pastor at that time. He says, I, we can help. What do you need? And I went from playing in the NFL to sleeping on the basement floor of a church and became a janitor of a church so that I could begin therapy sessions. And that was the first time in my life when I was able to find a safe ecosystem that sitting across from somebody and having this innate like trust with this person because I felt, and at this time, I didn't understand what that was. But my heart, my intuition was literally guiding me into this place. And I felt the energetic trust where I could start just taking off the masks and saying, this is where I'm at. This is who I am. This is what I'm going through. And I tasted early on, I tasted freedom a few weeks into my journey and I just could not get enough of it. And so now it was just all about healing. It was all about getting clear on what was going on emotionally in my life. And that was the beginning of, um, of my healing journey, really. That started almost a decade ago. Um, that's led me to where I am today. Yeah, beautiful, man. It's beautiful that you trusted that, that, that peace in your heart that was calling you to do that. And 
you know, it is, I'm sure there was just so much relief to be able to show up without the expectations of all yeah. the stories that people had for you of being this football player, this military guy, this Bob Sledder for the Olympic team, like all these stories. And these people didn't know who you were. And no. so you finally start, and you talked about safety, right? And yeah. being able to have someone that's present. And then you're finally able to start processing the deeper parts of who you are. What did that initial, you talked about freedom, right? And, you know, I'm writing my book on, on it's called finding freedom. And it's, it's, it is a fascinating journey because it's an internal journey of being able to release the stories of who you think you are and the programming and the conditioning that society tells us what success looks like. And it's all these, you know, experiences from when we're very young on how to show up in the world. And it's really to find real freedom is to, is to be able to let go and release those, but it takes a safe container to show up and feel safe enough to start doing that type of deep healing work. Yeah. This is why you can't heal alone. Mm. You can read all the books you want to read, but true embodiment, somatic practices that, you know, get into your body and help push out that, that trauma, that childhood trauma. And I'm sure you talk about this often. Like that doesn't mean you have to be, you know, sexually abused as a child. That means that your mom you know, told you that she was going to show up to pick you up from school at 3 p.m., but she didn't show up until 4 p.m. and you felt abandoned. Mm-hmm. Like that trauma is stored in our bodies. And so we can read all the books, listen to all the podcasts, do all of that stuff. But until we actually are able to get back into our bodies and what makes it so powerful and what helps facilitate that process is community. Mm. It is finding people because there is no vulnerability without community. And you need to lean into the vulnerability of being seen for who you really are and being really seen at your deepest woundings. And then that's when healing can really start. And so that's what it was really the powerful moment for me was finding this community of people that held space for me so that I could come undone. And what was, what else was beneficial was they were very calculated in the questions that they asked and they were trained on how to listen. And so when I said these things and what would come out of my mouth, they would say, but why? Like, wait, where did you learn that? Why is that the governing force behind your life? Like, why do you think that God wants that for your life? Well, I was told this. Well, have you ever sat back and actually challenged what you were told? Oh, you mean to tell me that my unhealed parents just projected their childhood pain on me doing the best that they can? But now that's become a fundamental belief system in my life that's been passed down from generation after generation after generation. And it's a fucking lie. <laughs> so that's when the, the beginning parts of my journey was just having that safe container, having these people ask really calculated questions and intentional listening to help, not telling me what I should believe or not to believe, but helping me see what are the driving forces and the driving belief systems behind my life. Mm. And that right there, A, was the birth of self-awareness and B, it was the, uh, it's the epitome of taking back control of your life. Mm. Now I'm able to observe why I'm reacting the way that I'm reacting. And I get to choose on how I'm going to respond in this moment. And when I choose how I respond in this moment, I suddenly feel back in power of my life. Mm. Yeah. I love that, man. Taking our power back. I think that's a big Mm -hmm. problem with our society and your coaches. We're giving our power away in so many different ways. And there's such a, like curiosity is such a beautiful gift, right? Like to be able to, to turn the lens of awareness on the self and get curious about why am I showing up in this way? Why am I triggered in this way? Why does this thing get me angry? Why do I believe that this is the way the world 
Absolutely. works, right? All of this constructs and stories. And it is a very courageous act to show up and start doing that work because when you start turning the lens of awareness and start questioning those things, you can get unraveled really quick and the onion is really infinite and you can keep going in deeper and deeper layers. Yeah. And it's hard to, if you don't have community and have support to kind of lose yourself even in that because you feel yes. like you don't know who you are and you need the community to really guide you into that. And I think it's very interesting that you went to this church and yeah. you know, they're, they're getting you to question your beliefs because I think that a lot of churches probably wouldn't align <laughs> with that. So talk about your journey there. How long were you there? And the, you know, they're obviously very beautiful people and, and got you to question mm-hmm. your own stories. Did they ever push any of their, like the religious part of that on you? And how did that evolve? They were still a church, um, you know, like a evangelical church in a lot of ways that, you know, believed in God, Son, Holy Spirit. Um, and that was my upbringing. And so I think a lot for me was like, hey, I'm getting back to my roots, mm-hmm. you know? And so I do think that it was necessary and important for me. Um, I was actually just telling my wife this because I left, you know, five years later and they didn't think that it was time for me to leave. But the whole point of my time period in my, in this church was helping me to trust the own, my own innate wisdom inside of me, Mm. the own voice of God inside of my life. Now, my whole healing journey and what healing is so powerful for is because it allows you to hear the voice of God in you. Mm. And that's in all of us. Um, Whether you believe in God creator, whatever you believe in mother earth, whatever, like there is this innate wisdom inside of you that is guiding your life forward. But when we have trauma on top of, on top of each other and on layers, right? We can't hear, we can't connect with wisdom, with peace inside of us. And so as you be the beautiful part about the healing journey is as you begin to heal, you layer after layer, like you spoke about, you begin to get in touch with that still small voice in your life, the God inside of you Mm. that is directing your life. If you're willing to be curious enough, like you spoke about, and if you're willing to say yes to that voice, it's going to lead you to a journey. It's Mm. never going to look like you expected it to, (laughs) but it's definitely going to lead you to a journey. And so I think my whole time in this church was learning how to hear that God inside of me and also listen to the God inside of me. And I made a commitment to myself early on that at whatever cost I will go at whatever cost. And I remember sitting that rock bottom forces that on you, right? Big time, man. Yeah. (laughs) And it's still something that I have to uh, honor in my life right now. Like, cause I think we, I find myself sometimes making decisions to create more comfort in my life. And then here comes the God of the universe knocking on my door says, Hey, Caleb, it's time to go. And uh -uh, no, no, no. But I just, I still today at whatever cost I will go, I will say yes to the still small voice the God inside of me leading my life forward. And it's just, it's, I'm saying that right now. And I'm like, God damn, I need to remind myself of that. (laughs) I know it's like, if you're alive, the journey continues, right? And that, right. it's, it's, it's getting outside your comfort zone, right? And that yes. voice inside of you is usually calling you to something that is outside your comfort zone and it's oh, yeah. the unknown and it's challenging you. And that's where real growth happens. And I love what you said, right? Cause it's that voice inside of us. Like, I love the quote, the difference between religion and spirituality is religion is a, is a belief in someone else's experience. Spirituality is a belief in your own experience. 
And so yeah. really, it doesn't matter how you find that connection. If it is in yeah. church, you know, obviously that resonated with you. So you're able to go there and connect in that way. But it's really about having that personal experience with God and being able to Absolutely. listen, communicate. And if you do that, you find that in church and the Holy Spirit, like that's, that's good. But the key is to not get so attached yes. to the belief systems, right? Because a lot of times the belief is what gets in the way. And that's even another thing that we have to work through. And it's Absolutely. really cool that you kind of... You, you, when you were ready, you walked away, even though you said they necessarily didn't think you were ready. Talk about a little bit about your, your religious beliefs now. Is it still kind of under the Christian kind of framework and how does that evolve? Yeah, man. I, I realized um, I was sitting in the back of that church and I was like, holy shit, it's time to go. And I don't know where I'm going, but it's time to go five, six years later. You know, And I told myself, I I would stay there for the rest of my life and I would commit to any person that walked through those doors that needed healing, but like, just like me, I was going to be for there for that person. And then I felt that still small voice that is time to go. And that led me to Los Angeles, literally the last place in this world that I ever thought I would find myself. And I was walking the beach through a series of events that landed me in Los Angeles and at five 30 in the morning, getting ready for an eight 30, nine o'clock flight, walking the beach. And I felt God so hard, just be like, this is your next move. And I'm like, holy shit, I'm moving to Los Angeles. I flew back to Canada at that time, living right across the border in Buffalo, New York, packed my bags and drove to Los Angeles. No agenda, no plan, just knowing that's where I'm supposed to be. I would say that since going into Los Angeles, damn Los Angeles, crazy people. (laughs) Suddenly my idea of God began to radically shift. I think in evangelical Christianity, we are taught that there is this enemy after our lives. We're taught to believe that there is a God out there. Uh, that is, if we can just believe enough, have faith enough, worship through the tough times and pray enough that everything will work out, but maybe not according to our plans because God's ways are higher ways. And so we were taught to believe all these things. And what I really began to see is that the evangelical Christianity that I was raised in was taught not to trust myself. It literally, everything about it was teaching me not to trust myself. Give your power. I'm like, whole, giving my power away. And I'm trying to reclaim my power, but yet this understanding and relationship with God is all about giving my power away. And I'm just like, this doesn't, this feels so constricting. It feels suffocating to me. Like I'm growing, but yet this idea of God that I've been raised in is actually making me feel small. I don't want anything to do with that God. And so I went on this journey of just questioning now everything that I was taught to believe about God and about Jesus and about the church and all of these things. And that was like, it was so hard because it's a lonely journey Mm. because suddenly the people who have been with you can't go with you Mm. and you have to set boundaries. And a lot of these boundaries are with close friends and family that have been raised with you in the same ideology and the same, uh, uh, you know, paradigms. And suddenly you're questioning these things and they're like, oh my God, you're falling away from God. But in my reality, I was feeling more closer to love. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, I got to go and explore this. And it's just this willingness to walk out another journey now. And I remember one night in Venice, I was living in Santa Monica. I had my first panic attack since that NFL draft day. And uh, through a, a strange uh, event I ended up having a Reiki session that afternoon with this girl. And then she told me about 
a breathwork session that I needed to go to. She was like, I'm buying it for you now. Show up at this place. You're going to breathe tonight. And I'm like, what the, what breathe? Like breathwork? What is this? And I walk into this uh, little, this little hut in Venice and I immediately start weeping because I feel like God in the room. And I'm in Venice and people are, you know, bowls and crystals and, you know, music and everything. And so everything that I've been taught to believe is probably witchcraft. <laughs> yeah, seriously, dude. It's crazy. And suddenly now I'm like, God is here. Like what? And I start weeping and the, the breathwork facilitator hugs me and kind of tells me what to expect and puts me on a mat. And I'm breathing and I start to breathe and I can tangibly feel the breath beginning to feel up my body. And it's just going and it's going and it's going. And I'm having this like out of body, spiritual, almost what I would like say, it felt like an orgasm experience. Mm -hmm. Like I am completely full and I'm just like, and I'm present. And I'm just, I'm like, this is what life is. This is what the kingdom of God that I've been taught to believe. This is heaven on earth. Mm -hmm. This is what Jesus was speaking about. And it was learning how to connect to my breath. And I have this radical experience with God and the universe and feeling one and connected with all of these things. And I remember going home that night and trying to like, what just happened to me? Like, this is insane. And I open up a book that I'm reading and it's a book by Richard Rohr called Everything Belongs. And I don't know if you're familiar with Rohr, but his practices and his teachings of really uh, the universal Christ and really has been a hero for deconstructing Christians because he's given us another way. Mm-hmm. Like this is, is, it's very much a more mystical approach to life, um, loosening your attachments to belief systems and to learn how to be. Which is fascinating because that's really the, what Jesus came to teach, right? Everything, bro. Everything. everything. That Once you start doing this deep work and then you, you kind of circle back into the teachings of Jesus and who he was as a man, he was this, you know, mystic. That came 100%. in teaching love and presence and, you know, all of these things that are in the Bible and they just, the belief structures around that have gotten so lost into the idea yes. of what, you know, it doesn't have anything to do with Jesus. Nothing. It's all about saying a street corner prayer so that one day we can get to heaven mm. that I don't even know exists. Um, we're now. Right here right now, right? Like we yes. are here. This is what we <laughs> created for us to experience. Yes. And so I'm reading this chapter and I open up this random chapter and I read and he starts talking about how the original name, the Hebrew name for God can't be physically pronounced because there's no vowels in it. Yahweh. So it's just Y-W-H-W. So you actually can't in the English language say the name of God, but in your attempt to say the name of God, it actually sounds like an inhale and an exhale. Wow. And I was like, when I connect to my breath, I connect to God. Holy shit. God is the alpha and the omega. He's the begin, God, not he, but God is the beginning and the end because the first thing I'm going to do is take a breath. And the last thing I'm going to do is take a breath. This is what they mean when I can always connect to God in my life because I can connect to my breath. Oh my God. I'm getting goosebumps right now talking That's about it. Dude, it's beautiful. It was just like, this is the God in me. This is reclaiming my power. This is what life, the kingdom of heaven here on earth 
looks like is us being willing to be fucking present, to live connected to our breath, to live an embodied life. And the way we connect to our breath and we connect to the wisdom inside of us is through the doorway of healing. Mm -hmm. Oh man, it's so beautiful. It resonates so, so much. I know even like the idea of, of putting and trying to describe you know, even through a word of what God is, puts it in a box, which you can't yes. put God in a box. And I love that's beautiful that you can't actually pronounce God because you can't put him in a box. It is everything, right? And I think that's the big thing with Christianity is they have this idea of separation. Mm-hmm. When, when, when God is unity, he's all. And it's so funny because there's all these little truths in the Bible that actually lead towards this unity and this oneness, but it gets, it gets, it gets so lost. Yeah. I think the church does a, it, it, I think the church was necessary for me. And I think it's good for people who need to hold their hand held to begin this journey. Mm-hmm. But the church does not set people up to go deeper into intimacy with the idea of God. Mm-hmm. It really doesn't because it always, as long as it stays teaching you that something outside of you is greater than you, you're always going to be at a ceiling. You're always going to be trying to believe something outside of yourself when the whole point of Christianity is to help you come back home to yourself mm-hmm. and love and find this idea like, oh, what I need is in me and I know how to access that and I know how to listen to that. And that's, if I'm willing to say yes to the journey, it's going to lead me down this road, this spiritual journey of now actually experiencing oneness with all. It revolutionizes your life. Absolutely. And it's, it, it's a courageous journey to start questioning. Now, when you first Absolutely. start questioning the, the Christian beliefs, because mine was kind of like a long journey. I mean, I, I didn't resonate really with me when I was younger. I grew up in a Christian household as, as well, evangelical. And this always had a lot of questions around it. And then I you know went to college and I just stopped going to church, but I always had this deep desire to know God. I think everybody yes. has that little whisper within them. Like that's what this whole experience is about to understand it. And we have this curiosity and it wasn't until I started doing this deep work, but there was a moment when I told my dad that I no longer believed that the only way to heaven is through believing that Jesus died for my sins. And it was like, even though I, I, I would tell you that I don't believe that there was this thing with my father that I just, and I realized after doing some deeper processing, I always thought it was this fear that if I got in a car accident and died, I didn't want to go to hell for and damnation for the eternity, eternity. Right. And what I realized is that I didn't want to tell my dad that because I didn't want to lose his love. For that belief. And when I finally was able to just directly tell him, like, I no longer believe that it was just like this, I just feel it now, just this energy just released and it allowed me to go on my own journey of discovery and figuring it out and having an open mind and like reading different texts and figuring out my own, like, what is God to me? Not somebody telling me what God should be. And that's continuing to evolve. Was it hard for you when you first, was it like a moment when you finally were able to let go of that thing? Or was it just like this, this isn't right. This doesn't resonate anymore. Yeah. I think it was, uh, um, Abe, that's beautiful. Like God bless you. Find the courage to say that to your father, because I feel like, especially if, you know, you grew up believing that your father's love was everything like this threatening that love takes a lot of courage to say yes. to that, mm-hmm. to the same, that journey. Right. Mm-hmm. I think for me, um, it was what I spoke about earlier, feeling like the God that I was serving uh, was remarkably constricting now. It felt like God was suffocating me. And even I remember talking to uh, a guy named Jonathan Martin, who I just deeply adore and love and so thankful for him. I have a call with him actually today. Which is Jonathan crazy. Martin? Yeah. We're talking, Wait, we're talking in a couple uh, hours. Pastor? 
No, Jonathan Martin is a football player. Okay, yeah, yeah, there's a football player. But no, 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 no. Okay. So Jonathan Martin's a pastor. I'm glad we cleared that up. <laughs> he, he's a pastor, a deconstructed pastor that I remember him telling me, and he says, Caleb, on the road to Emmaus, and he was like, the disciples, Jesus just died, and the disciples are walking away from literally walking away from everything they were taught to believe is the truth. And he looked at me and he says, Caleb, even in your journey away from God, God is walking with you. And I'm like, wait, I have permission to walk away from God. He's like, absolutely. And I was just like, whoa. And I can honestly say that until I walked away from God was the, and not until I walked away from God that I experienced love. Mm -hmm. When I was willing to walk away from God is when I actually experienced depth of intimacy and church for all intents and purposes is afraid of that because it doesn't feed their program. Mm -hmm. Walking away from God takes money out of the offering plate. Right. Walking away from these things doesn't feed the way that they see. And I think that was necessary for me. But when I realized that walking away from God was the next step, because it was the thing I was afraid of the most. And because I knew I was afraid of the most was the very thing that I needed to do. And when I realized that I had permission to do that, I realized that, oh, this is the next step. And so I just, I always encourage people like, hey, what is that one thing that you know you need to do that you're not doing? Get clear on that. And work your way up to saying yes to that thing because that's where God is in your life. Mm. And that's where you're going to experience the more break, the most breakthrough. I love that, man. Yeah. On the other side of fear lies freedom. And it's the yeah. thing that we scare the most. And even the stories that we question, like those, those things, like question everything. I think that's mm. the key. Absolutely question everything. This is the this is the beautiful part about love. We live under an umbrella of love. When you can get a hold of that, that's not conditional. That I therefore can question everything because I'm never losing this umbrella of love. Mm-hmm. Only when I question everything do I actually begin to experience more love because I realize on how many of my belief systems were so conditional and so oppressive to begin with. Yeah, but then when I question everything, well, right? absolutely, man. So you've come on a journey from from this 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 boy that mm-hmm. played at West Point that worked out and didn't even know what an emotion was to where you're at now. And- <laughs> really, really beautiful to see man and the way you've opened up and, and your vulnerability and the way you share so openly and, and you have such a story and it's an impactful story that can really, I think, you know, benefit a lot of people um, who come in contact with it. And I really appreciate that. What is one thing that you would, you know, would tell yourself, you know, back then when you're in West Point, if there was any kind of piece of advice that you would say to help you navigate the road ahead? <sighs> So I would be telling my West Point cadet self yeah. um, to help to navigate the, what I would tell him at this time is, um, man, hey, get fucking therapy. <laughs> <laughs> Go get help, bro. Literally get therapy. Uh, but B, uh, I think stillness is the answer. Hmm. I think like even so much of my journey um, has been trying to suffocate the performancism out of my healing. Mm-hmm. We, we lose our one identity and we, I think part of the journey is now our healing becomes our identity. And so we think if we can just heal more that we're going to arrive one day, but we never arrive until we realize that we're here now already. The, the, the moment that I realized that the ground that I was been trying to attain my entire life was the ground that I've been standing on all of this all along. Mm. was when it clicked on me that, oh, 
my healing journey became another football in my life. I willed my way into more depths of healing, trying to arrive, trying to get to some place in my head that I thought I was going. But the biggest, biggest amount of healing that I think the biggest like measure of success in my healing has been realizing that right where I'm at is what I've been looking for my entire life. So it's like this radical acceptance of all things and living in that place. And that only comes through stillness when you're willing to actually be still then. And only then does shit that looks good, but actually no longer serves you begin to surface. Uh, That's beautiful. Yeah. Every path leads away from the moment we stand in and it's, Mm -hmm. Yeah, realizing that every path leads right back to where we are now. And it kind of it's a paradox though, because you have to go on the path to realize that. Yes. You know, and so it's I'm like, still, I, yeah, I'm not gonna mean cut you off because this is probably a whole nother podcast for us because I would love to get into this conversation with That's you. Cool, of what does it look like moving your life forward from a place of presence? Mm. Yeah, well, I'll, I would love to have you on Quantum Coffee where we can talk a little bit more Please. about <laughs> Let's get more into the transition, um, you know, because it is a huge challenge for a lot of guys. And I think it's a really beautiful opportunity because going from, it is a sort of an ego death, right? A piece of our identity is so wrapped up in the performance and everything that goes along with playing sports. And it's a very vulnerable place to be to all of a sudden go through this transition of no longer being that and having to figure out who you are. And so many guys get stuck. They, they struggle letting go. There's, they don't properly grieve the loss of that. So what are some ways, you know, maybe some advice or things that might help support an athlete or really anybody that's going through a big transition? I know they probably get a lot from your story, but you know, specifically with an athlete leaving sports, um, what are some tools, some, some, some things that can really help support them in this journey of figuring out who they are? Because I think it's a big question we all need to ask is, is who am I? Yeah, I think there is something that's uh, so transformative and powerful when we give ourselves space and the permission to to not do anything. Um, I think as athletes and being performance-driven people, our natural innate desire is to perform more and to hustle and to will our way forward in life. Like, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. Go, 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 go. And that's good and that's great. And I think there's a season for it, but I think there's so much power in finding a community, finding a, a person that you are willing to just give yourself the space and the permission to be still and not do anything, especially if you have the financial means to do this. Like, let yourself feel so damn unproductive so that you can begin to realize just how much your productivity is your identity. And then you can begin to start to really deal with the driving forces behind your life. Because I found in my life that the the greatest driving force behind my life was shame. Mm. The reason why that we can never do enough in life. And I'm sure people as athletes are hearing this right now, that no matter how much you do is still not enough. No matter how much you money you make, it's still not enough. No matter how much you accomplish, it's still not enough. Why? Because I'm telling, I would argue right now that it's because shame is the driving force behind your life because shame is the manifester of it's not enough because deep down, I believe that I'm not enough. And shame is a beautiful motivator because it will put a fire under your ass to do a lot of great things in life. But if you actually want to get into this place where if my life never changes from this moment forward, I'm good because it's enough. 
because deep down, I believe that I'm enough is you have to be willing to do nothing and sit in stillness. So I think a great practical, easy exercise. I hope this makes sense. Every single day, sit and teach yourself to sit in five minutes of stillness. Teach yourself to sit into 10 minutes of stillness, 15 minutes, get to 20 minutes of stillness and just get crazy curious on what begins to percolate and surface up into the, uh, into your own uh, consciousness and then write that shit down and then take that to your community, take that to your therapist, take those to the people that you're working through and begin to begin to deconstruct it. Mm, that's beautiful, man. I couldn't agree more. It's really fascinating when you find, cause even, even myself, like, you know, I've gotten really busy, have a new, new baby, three week old. Congratulations, man. Yeah. Thanks brother. And you know, I've had a really solid meditation practice and I haven't been meditating as much. And I just sat down to, to, to meditate, you know, cause even when life gets really busy and stress and overwhelm and that's the time we need stillness the most. And so I went and, you know, sat in my mat and I, I was, I mean, I was meditating really like 30 to an hour at one point and wow. really was able to sit in stillness. And I set my timer for 20 minutes and, you know, sat there and just like my body literally wanted to get up and do something. I always like, I need to go do something. And it was just like, so challenging me to sit there. And I just was bringing awareness to it. And at one point I like kind of peeked down at the clock and it had been five minutes. And I was like, Oh my God, I feel like I've been here for an hour. And it's crazy how that awareness, you need to train it because you can get so lost in the stories, especially in the culture and society that we've created where there's our attention is always pulled away from the present moment, always distracted with all this stuff, with the phones, with the, so much opportunity out there to do stuff. And I think really the biggest skill anybody can develop is, you know, awareness and stillness and being able to just be. Yeah, I got to, I'm, I'm the same way, man. Last night I was laying in bed and I wrote down on my journal, I was like, you need to get back into the stillness of life and start to really like my work in this season, because I feel like I'm going through it a lot, but my work in this season is to re recommit to the deep universal truth that God and this universe are radically for me. Mm. Somewhere along this last year, I've learned to believe that God and this universe are not for me. I've allowed that narrative to begin to like take hold of my life. And I was last night, I was like, my, 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 metric of success in the season of life is believing that God in this universe is for me. And I need to open my heart back up mm. to receive what they have for me. Because at some point I've been angry. I've been angry at God. I've been angry at me because expectations are a motherfucker. You think life is going to unfold one way and it doesn't. And the, how we respond to that determines everything. And I've shut my heart down. And so now stillness is giving me that space now to... God is for me. The universe is for me. I open my heart up to receive whatever it has because it's fucking good if I'm just willing to go there. Mm, that's like real faith, right? Real faith mm -hmm. is, is something that's earned. Man. You, you have to like really earn the right to, to, to really trust yeah. in God and trust in the plan. And a lot of the challenges and adversities that we go through more times than not are leading us to where we're meant to be. And we might not realize it for even years down the line, but if we take a time to, to really trust and have faith that this is all happening for me, I mean, the world really radically shift. Radically shifts, man. And then it's, it's radical acceptance. It's like now I'm no longer trying to escape my pain. I'm learning how to accept it. Mm -hmm. Right. It's just like, I, I've, I've always lived with a deep, like a, an ache in my life and it's been a loneliness ache and it's been a void of feeling disconnected a little bit of like, a little depression, I would say. 
And I've spent years trying to fix that years trying to heal my way out of that. And the greatest measure of healing that I've experienced with it is learning how to accept it and understand that it's got something for me. No longer need to stigmatize it, judge it, try to release myself from it. But how do I, how do I, like Rumi would say, all of these uncomfortable emotions, all these unwanted visitors, they deserve a seat at the table, pull up a fucking chair and let them sit there and get curious and have a conversation with it. Beautiful, man. I love it. Final question for you. Please. More of a personal question is, is what's, what's the vision you have for yourself personally? And then the vision you have collectively with, you know, where the world's headed and, and what you'd like to see happen out in the world. Yeah. I think for me personally, um, the vision is to have no vision. <laughs> Such a paradox we live in, huh? The only um, way to have a vision is to not have a vision. And then you'll find the, the oh man i think for me my vision is is right now where i'm at in life i think i i can hold space for other people i can um i i've lived my truth this is not something that i've learned in a book and i want to help mirror back to people um what they need to see so that they can exp- experience growth and me- new measures of freedom in their own life uh, what that looks like i'm not necessarily for sure i think i'm really uh committing right now this year um, to showing up and to just practice being present and allowing the, the the working title for my book is Don't Push the River. My entire life has been trying to push the river of life forward, the vision forward. Now I'm learning to realize and to experience that the river is already moving. I just got to learn how to rest in it. Mm. And I, I think that's what my vision is, is really just allowing myself to have the space and the permission to sit in the river and allow the river to flow. And just, hey, where's this going? And just be good with that. And it's remarkably hard for me because there's still this deep desire to, to a, a deep need to do something significant with my life. And I know that need behind it is fear. Um, and so I'm just, I'm just really being loose and giving myself the permission to navigate that. Uh, <laughs> you like the... the, the yeah, man, I'm doing that big time, dude. <laughs> Um, but I think the answer, if that makes sense, hopefully it makes sense. Absolutely. Um, the, to answer the second part of the question is, oh man, we need to heal. And I think what I would love for to see is a collective grieving that has to take place. Um, we need to create more spaces and give people more permission to grieve. And I'm not just talking about the death and the loss of a loved one. I'm talking about unfulfilled dreams, unmet expectations. We need to grieve the past versions of ourselves that we're still holding on to. We need to grieve the mistakes that we made in the past. We need to grieve all of this shit, man. Um, and so I'm really just believing that as I show up in the world, how do I create more spaces for, I think psychologists would call it non-finite grief, um, but the more ambiguous losses in life, right? Like how many times are we giving ourselves the space and the permission to grieve the unmet expectations and the unfulfilled dreams of our lives? Not very often, I'd argue. And so I think collectively, I would love for us to shift into the season of deep grief after experiencing so much fucking loss. Yeah, fuck yeah, man. Beautiful, beautiful. I really appreciate you taking the time in and sharing your wisdom and your journey and your vulnerability. And it's definitely had an impact on my life. And I know the listeners are going to be Thank you. Man. 
really appreciate the way you're showing up. Um, is there any way people can find you if they want to connect with you and, uh, you know, get involved in what you're doing? Yeah. Um, not doing much, but come find me on Instagram. I'm not showing up there much <laughs> at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I love doing podcasts. So if you were listening to this and you have your own podcast, uh, hit, hit me up or hit up uh, Joe and he'll point you in the right direction. But you can find me on Instagram at Caleb underscore Campbell. Um, not creating much content these days, but uh, that's where I'm most active. Cool, man. Yeah. And I'll definitely, I'd love to get you on quantum coffee soon. Uh, we'll probably spread out the conversations a little bit, but yeah, I'd love to dive way deeper into cool. the spiritual journey and, you know, the unanswerable questions of the universe. And, you know, dude, your journey has been really wild and I really appreciate the way you show up, man. Thank you for having me, man. And likewise, dude, thanks for creating a safe container for all this. Yeah, brother. We'll talk soon. All right, man. All right. So much gratitude for Caleb for, man, can't say it enough for how he showed up, opening up uh, just the journey of life that he's been on. And, uh, you know, it's really beautiful uh, his story and the way he shared and opened up. And I learned a lot from him. I hope you did as well. Um, yeah, if you if you want, reach out to him. All his contact info will be in the show notes um, along with all the other stuff I'm working on. I really appreciate the support. And until next time, peace.